Are you satisfied with your understanding of sustainability? If not, like me, imagine a journey together, a pluralistic one, with innovators, startup, academia, NGO, all together looking for solution to the greatest challenge of our time. I'm Samuel Ettini, and this is the Sustainability Journey. Welcome to another episode, and today we are going in what I like, the practicality, the work, how we can also tap and solve the social problem, and especially in one of the areas that is a hot topic now, how to boost talent and how to help also impact-driven businesses. And we are doing here today with Paul Breloff, who is the CEO and co-founder on Shortlist.net. Thank you so much, Paul, to be here. Great to be here. Thanks so much, Samuel. Paul, you have a wonderful career. When I saw your CV, I got impressed. So for me, it's a real honor. You are really showed in all your steps a real focus on impact and purpose, from the macrofinance to the impact on the work-related uh, area. Can you tell us a bit more about your journey? Sure, and thanks for those kind words. Uh, uh, certainly the case that I think the common thread through my kind of chaotic career has been trying to find uh, and meld purpose and business and, and finding different ways to support the development of business models that uh, can make the world a better place, can support low-income households, small businesses, et cetera. Where that's taken me, uh, you know, I was briefly a corporate lawyer, but, but moved to India and worked in microfinance. Uh, for several years. And as part of that uh, experience, got a chance to pilot a number of distribution projects related to solar lights and water purifiers and cell phones and mobile banking projects and education. And so that early experience uh, really gave me a flavor for the, the range of potential applications of social enterprise and business models to provide products and services to the poor and, and low-income households. Went from there and, and briefly worked at the World Bank, but also a couple of years after that, set up an impact investing fund. I got very interested in how startups were driving a lot of innovation that could be relevant to making people's lives better. And so set up a, a venture capital fund investing in very early stage startups around the world, fintech space. So an inclusive fintech uh, venture fund. Um, great experience, got to look at thousands of companies invested in about 30 startups around the world. And it was in that experience that my eyes first opened up to the challenges and the critical importance of human capital and talent and hiring. I think we, uh, uh, my co-founder was also a, an impact investor and, and both of us could see that there's more and more people focused on channeling financial capital into these companies, but far fewer people thinking about channeling human capital into these companies. And, and frankly, um, I would join these board meetings and consistently it was people issues and hiring and attracting and retaining talent that was top of the agenda. So we started Shortlist about six years ago. Um, Shortlist was initially more of a tech company building software tools to help engage and recruit young people and, and try to uh, go beyond the CV with uh, skills assessments and things like that. And we've evolved since into something that has kind of two different uh, parts of our business. One part is executive search, where we're helping leadership hiring for startups and social impact organizations, particularly across Africa. The other side is, is working more to apply our technology to support youth employment programs. And in particular, look at getting more young people actually working and the benefits of work experience within critical sectors like climate and clean energy and in job growth sectors like tech and, and remote digital work. So, you know, many times there is a commoditization, financialization of the world. So human capital is just an asset, whereby is the fuel and what is really putting 
I had this company, especially in crucial era like the emerging market, where startups, they don't have also the capacity to retain time. This is very important. And talents is poached by big corporations. So I want to ask, shortly, what is the problem that we are facing, especially with your vast experience in the emerging market? What are the, the challenges? I think there's really um, problems on both sides of the market that we're trying to address. On one hand, um, we see a lot of high impact companies that could accelerate and improve and expand their impact if only they had the right people to help them do it. And if you talk to these companies, particularly in sectors like financial inclusion and and, and clean energy and, and health and education, these companies will consistently cite access to talent and hiring as pretty much their biggest constraint to growth. And that's a multi-headed problem that is, is around challenges around how do you find people, how do you attract people, how do you raise awareness, the genuine scarcity of, of, of talent in these markets where a lot of these sectors are new. So people, so the, the market uh, hasn't really had the time to uh, build the educational institutions to support these kinds of like tech skills and executive skills and, uh, and, and whatnot. So on the company side, we were working a lot to try to make it easier for companies to access the talent they need to grow. But there's also a perhaps even larger and more significant issue on the talent side where uh, Africa is facing one of the, the most crazy demographic moments in history with uh, uh, more people entering the workforce in the next uh, 10 years in the rest of the world combined. And so um, there's literally hundreds of millions of folks entering the workforce. There's already issues with high rates of unemployment. And um, that's a lot of human capital and a lot of human potential that uh, needs to find a place to go, both, of course, to, to achieve their own kind of uh, potential, but also just to uh, make sure people are employed, make, make sure there's household uh, income, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So a lot of the work we're doing is, is how do we reduce the friction in that last mile of placing people into jobs and uh, make sure people can get onto the lowest rung of these career ladders so they can kind of uh, grow and develop um, from there. And this is exactly what is also, I can. I, I usually also speak during my work days with young people. This is such a, actually an anxiety that is there in many entrepreneurial journey also with small startups, especially the one trying to solve issues. So shortlist, how shortlist is helping them to solve this, the problem that you've just mentioned? On the young people side, what we do is design programs that are focused on young people and focused on moving them into higher potential areas to build careers. And we do that in a couple of ways. Um, one, uh, at, at the kind of top of the funnel, we're focused on raising awareness about where the jobs are. A, a lot of what we see is, is as part of the mismatch issue is that um, there are growth industries where many jobs are being created. Tech's an example, of course, but also climate and clean energy and energy access companies are expanding very rapidly uh, and, and are always having trouble accessing the right people to grow. Young people often don't know about that because if you think about how people learn about what areas to go into, information is usually dated. Maybe they're asking their you know, uncle or aunt or parents for advice about where to go and their information might be 15 years old. And they're saying, you know, be very good to go work at this you know, bank, which isn't growing that fast or at an at a insurance company. Um, so part of what we do is just uh, get people uh, excited about the opportunities, aware of the opportunities, uh, and more informed about how they might go about them. We also um, 
partner with different organizations that can do some of the upskilling and training that's necessary to succeed in some of these jobs. Though I want to I want to downplay that a little bit. I think that mo- many of the jobs that we're looking to place don't require much training. It really is more about um, getting on the job experience. Um, for example, uh, um, we do we do a lot of work getting people into customer service roles uh, in in clean energy companies and other companies. Those are jobs that that require some basic uh, computer literacy skills, t- some basic typing skills, and of course uh, verbal communication. But you don't need to go to a training course for that if you pick that up somewhere else. It's more that you just need to be aware of those and and channeled into those opportunities. And then the, the last thing we do normally is is try to reduce the friction of that last step, uh, working with HR departments, coaching and working with the young people to actually get them into those jobs. Many of our programs are subsidized by donors or governments, so we're able to provide some funding to support those first few months of the people on the job. So it becomes kind of an experiential job tryout where the people are able to practice some technical skills, they're able to develop some of the soft skills or durable skills, as we like to call them, uh, skills that will apply across jobs, communications, teamwork, showing up on time, how to write emails, things like that. And then, of course, having an actual credential on their CV to separate them from uh, um, um, all the folks that, that may only have a uh, college education. Because um, we do see that work experience is, is, is a critical thing employers look to when they're deciding who to hire. It, it's really a crucial way to, to make your CV to stick out from the, the, the floods that usually we receive. People are interested in stories. Can you share a bit some impacts of stories, something that has really helped transform lives? in your work with short list. There's the same pattern of story that we like to see over and over again, which is uh, a young person that wasn't aware of, let's say, jobs in clean, clean energy and energy access, who uh, is able to get excited about the opportunity to um, build a career, not just a job uh, in, in a sector. And I think uh, um, this is very important and it stems back to my experience in, in microfinance. Um, when I was working in microfinance in India, when I joined the company I joined, I was about employee 100. So it was about 100 people. And when I left three years later, there were 27,000 employees. And I saw so many people come in to very low paid, but stable full-time employment as field agents in, in rural India that um, you know, three years later, were like zonal managers. They had been promoted from field staff to branch manager, to uh, uh, regional manager, to unit manager, to zonal manager. And um, seeing those kinds of career track opportunities in places that didn't really have them before was always exciting. I think we're, we're experiencing something very similar um, in clean energy. Uh, I think the thing that that is uh, exciting is not only are we seeing people getting onto these um, ramps, it could almost seem like conveyor belts in a way of like, if, if you can get onto the first step, you'll build up the momentum. And if you keep doing a pretty good job, um, the sky's the limit of where you can go. And that's that's very exciting to us. The other dimension that that I enjoy is hearing stories of people having found not just a job, but a, an area of passion. Uh, I don't think many young people pick jobs in climate and clean energy initially because of the impact or the larger purpose. I think they pick them because they're good jobs and they need a job. But what I've been uh, enriched to see and, and have had interactions with um, uh, uh, people in our program who share that you know after the fact, they developed a passion for the sector they were in. And they developed this uh, appreciation for the fact that what they were doing was more than a job and the broader cause that they were part of was something they were really excited 
to be part of. And so the, the thought that we're not only able to create economic opportunity, but that there's this genuine, you know, in the best case scenarios, I don't want to be over, overly dramatic, um, I'm helping people connect their work to purpose in the same way I feel fortunate to have in my, my career, that gets that gets us very excited. We love those stories. And those are wonderful stories and positive stories that we want to hear. And that's why one of the reasons that I created this podcast, just to give voice to change makers like you that are trying to solve real issues and problems that affect society. And there are win-win situation. I want to tap a bit more uh, in your ex- vast experience and work. You have been in microfinance, you've been in the venture capital, and then you have a, a long experience in the emerging markets. I want to ask a bit about what is your perspective for the startup innovation and funds to really enable growth and transformation? You know, I was reading some books about the VC model. Sometimes it's a model which not embed growth in the local, but sometimes it puts growth mainly for bigger corporation or emerging mindset, the intellectual property rights and all this. We cannot delve into the big issues, but I want to ask what can be the path, especially for the emerging market to have growth and transformation here in this area? It's a great and a very big question that could go in a lot of directions. Uh, you've stumbled into a, an area I have a lot of thoughts on and I've been thinking a lot about given you know, I initially worked for an institution and helped raise money for a microfinance institution in India where we raised first time ever pure private sector, profit-seeking venture capital. And I saw the good and the bad that came with that, the way that it was able to accelerate our growth, but it also made us do some things that sacrificed our purpose and our impact for money, and particularly injected a, a sort of short-termism to our growth orientation that, that I thought was, was not ideal. And then today, I think uh, in the market we operate, we see ways in which venture capital can sometimes unlock growth and impact of companies, but other times can confuse entrepreneurs, put them on a wrong path. Uh, In Africa and and in Kenya in particular, where obviously I I work the most, there are many companies I fear almost shouldn't be funded by venture capital. They're good, sustainable business models that frankly should probably find ways to grow out of their own income and and free cash flow debt, and instead have to kind of like contort themselves to fit into a model that a venture capitalist would support and use lots of fancy venture capitalist uh, phrasing, um, et cetera. High level though, um, you know, taking aside like, is venture capital the right tool for this market and you know, local behaviors? I deeply believe in the power of startup-led innovation to, to make the world a better place. And that's been a big theme of my career. What I love about impact startups is the way that they can start from zero with no baggage, no legacy systems, no real bureaucracy or red tape, and look at problems fresh and try something new. And I think startups are some of the most efficient vehicles for experimentation that have ever been invented. Um, I used to work at at the World Bank where we would give multi-million dollar grants to banks or mobile network operators and ask them to innovate. And it was very inefficient and bureaucratic. And, you know, if you gave one-tenth that, if you gave $100,000 to a startup, they might be working hard for a year on that or more to, to, to prove something out. And, and what I've been interested in my whole career is not simply the success stories of these particular startups, uh, which I think is great and where we, that's the ideal, but also even when startups don't work out, even when startups try something brave and crazy and it doesn't work out, uh, the world usually learns something. So there's these kind of like positive externalities of the experimentation from those startups. And I think we see that in a lot of cases 
Um, on the good side, where success stories breed copycats and other success stories, that's certainly the story of microfinance. But on the bad side, many startups whose innovations, I think in Kenya of a company called Japange Kusev that very few people probably remember that was kind of a precursor. It didn't work out as a startup, but it was a precursor to um, some of the, the positive digital finance innovations that have, have come through since. Now, of course, digital finance is a complicated topic in Kenya. We won't go down that, that path, but I do get very excited about uh, the potential of, of startups to drive positive change. It's really interesting because, as you say, it's what we want. The externality is what also what creates what is the prior breeding ground for also being a place where you can also develop and really create growth and sustainable growth, which is your perspective on for the emerging market in, in innovation. From your perspective, you have done many, many work. You are connected with many people. What is the way with the future that you foresee? especially for Kenya and in this area? It's a big question. Um, I'm not sure exactly how to take that, but uh, um, one of the things that comes to mind is the potential of many of these markets to uh, um, not follow, let's say, the American or European model, but carve out their own way, uh, leapfrog some of the, the technologies and the infrastructure that other markets are going to take a long time to unwind. I think about the U.S. trying to shift to uh, net zero carbon emissions by 2050 and the massive overhaul of, of the American economy and infrastructure that would necessitate. Um, uh, African countries are starting from a much lower foundation, which is a challenge and is unfortunate, but also presents the opportunity to make sure that the growth journey takes advantage of, of the best in class innovations that are out there. Uh, certainly, Africa has has some of the the richest access to solar power that exists uh, um, on Earth. Um, uh, given given the, the sunshine we all get uh, every most days, which is great. Kenya and, and other countries along the Rift Valley have such access to geothermal. Kenya's grid is already one of the most green grids uh, um, in the world, and so I think that uh, the opportunity for emerging markets in the next decades to really show the established you know, West uh, or, or global North, as someone sometimes people say, um, what's up and really serve as an inspiration. I'm, I'm, I feel like we're entering a period where India in particular is more and more uh, leading the world on some of this. There's other challenges in India, but, but some of the innovation. And I, I feel like Africa is in some ways where India was five or 10 years ago. Uh, I know obviously it's very inconsistent. Africa is not one country. There's a lot of ups and downs, but generally there's a drive around um, startup innovation and, and infrastructure and, and talent and human capital that makes me very, very optimistic for, for the future. And it's really a very positive message and it's something also that you, you are trying to fuel this transformation, helping talent to find jobs in this and helping you know, the, the transformation of this startup and then the scaling up. You know, we are approaching the end and as usual, uh, I ask to people and to our guests, our final call for action, a final message that you want to give, especially to people that listen to us. I guess don't underestimate the importance of people in, in driving change. I feel like uh, it's very sexy to talk about money and it's easy to count money and it's easy to talk about, you know, all the different varieties of money that are out there. And, you know, I'm, I'm always blown away at all the different people and, and resources and conferences that are focused on the money side of driving change and how little focus there is on uh, the role of, of people and uh, how do we drive more talent to solve these problems. And so if you're a leader of a, of a social enterprise uh, or, or impact organization thinking really 
critically about how you can become um, the best uh, magnet for talent and the best cultivator of talent uh, and culture that you can be. If you're if you're a funder, uh, very much taking a hard look at at what are you funding for, what are the organizations, uh, making sure that that uh, you're investing in people and you're investing in solutions that can help the market sort out people problems uh, more effectively, same with investors. So yeah, generally, just don't underestimate the power of people and impact. Thank you so much, Paul, for this wonderful episode full of insights. I'm sure people, we have a lot of food for thoughts. If for the listeners, go to the link and try to, to see uh, what the work and Paul and his company are trying to do. Thank you so much, Paul. It was a great pleasure. Thank you for having me. Great to be here. Are you satisfied after this wonderful episode? Let's continue together our sustainability journey.